0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel North Shore. If you're visiting, we are blessed to have you here joining us. Um, We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. Anybody need one? Just raise your hand. Keep your hand up. They'll get to you. Hebrews chapter 4. Just want to thank you guys all for your prayers uh, for our boy in Arizona. He's hanging in there. He's hanging tight. He's trusting Jesus. So I just want to say thank you. Um, I was asked to pray over the Operation Christmas Child boxes. How many boxes did we, we fill them all, right? 275. All right. So let's just take a quick moment to pray uh, over those boxes that are going, we don't know yet, but they'll let us know, but they're going to uh, children that don't have anything. And uh, along with the gifts that you provided for them, they're going to be getting the gospel, which is going to be really awesome. So we want to pray that the gospel goes out with each and every box. So let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. You've put us here in this place for such a time as this, that we can help those that have less than we do, Lord God, and be a blessing to them. To show your great love to them through our giving, Lord God, but most important, uh, that the gospel goes out and they receive the good news and receive you as Lord and Savior, King. Lord, we know that by your power, every box can move with the gospel in it and affect literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And so we ask that you show yourself mighty and strong. And we pray that we hear great things that will come out of these villages where these kids receive not only these toys and not only this stuff that we've provided, but they receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, have your way. Bless these boxes and let your word go out with power in Jesus' name we pray and all god's people said amen. amen okay um i don't even know if we have any other announcements we got what anything am i good okay we've got a regular wednesday night come on out 6 30 it's been awesome great teaching going through the gospels uh we've got women's studies men's studies get plugged in it's always a lot of fun Christmas is just around the corner. That's crazy. Just almost going to be broke again just when I thought I was getting ahead. Um, Great time for us as believers to bless people by our giving and to help those in need and uh, just be the hands and feet of Jesus during these times of Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. And so as we go through the book of Hebrews, it's been, I don't know, it's been powerful, it's been impacting to me. In my life, Um, it just sets so many things straight about faith in Jesus and why Jesus is superior to angels, why Jesus is superior to Moses and superior to Joshua, to Aaron and the high priest. Jesus is superior over all things. And he's not just number one God out of a list of one to tens, he's number one on a list all by himself. Nobody even comes close. I used to always laugh when I heard people say Satan is the opposite of Jesus. No, he's not. He's not even close. Satan's the opposite of Michael the archangel, and Michael the archangel doesn't even come close to Jesus. Jesus is in a realm all by himself, and he's worthy to be praised. And so the book of Hebrews strengthens us in our understanding to make things clear that we're saved by faith and not of ourselves. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But just putting everything to Jesus' credit. Everything He did on the cross, you and I could not perform. And the wonderful thing is to think that the God that created the universe would see sinful man and love us so much that He would come down and die for us And hand us a gift of salvation for all eternity and say it's free. I still can't get over that. I still can't fully understand His unconditional love for me. That He knows all my failures. He knows all my mistakes I'm going to make in the future. And He still chooses to love me. Now, some of us, we're not that gracious, are we? When someone does something wrong to us, we can hold a grudge for a while. Maybe let it go after a few months. But for some of us, we're still holding on to stuff from years ago. Thinking somehow that that person needs the blood of Jesus more than I need it. And forgetting how much God has forgiven us and our lack of forgiving one another is really sad. That we should be known for our love. Our love for God and our love for each other. That we should be that hands and feet of Jesus. That we should be a reflection of our Lord. Loving, forgiving, showing grace, and having mercy. Thank God for God's grace and mercy. Amen? And so as we look into this passage today, chapter (coughs) 4, you'll have to excuse me, I had a cold a week ago, and I still got that lingering cough. But as we look at this chapter 4, the title of the message is Resting in Jesus, Part 2. Are you resting in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in yourself? He opens it up in chapter 4. He says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. In other words, the if is saying they didn't. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in certain place of the seventh day and the wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. "...seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if King James says Jesus, it's referring to Joshua, Joshua in the Greek is Jesus, For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. (coughs) Father, open our eyes to what you're telling us. Lord, allow this passage today to help us to draw closer to you and trust and rest in you, Lord God so hard for us to rest in these crazy times, but Lord, all things are possible through You. And so we pray that we would get strength from You that we can get from no one else. And that we would put all our trust and rest in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question is today is, are you resting in Jesus? Truly. Now I know as believers trusting in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we all have peace with God. But there's also a peace of God, and that peace of God is the rest that we're speaking about today. The peace of God is what not all Christians have. Because many times our circumstances, our trials, our giants, our storms will get bigger than our God in our lives. And if that's the case, you need to turn that thing around and make God so big in your life that you cannot see your storm. God wants you to put full trust into him. And he allows things to happen in our lives to help to grow us. And sometimes we don't fully understand and we end up saying, why, God, why is this happening to me? I'm living for you. I'm doing your will. I've I've stepped it up. I've I've done more than I've ever done in my life. And this is still happening. Why, God? Why? We don't always understand. But we know that God loves us and His desires for us are good. And the purpose of the storm that you're going through is going to benefit not only you, but someone else. It's during those hard times that actually cause us to grow closer to God than ever before in our life. Don't you up your prayer life when things are going bad? Then why is it that when things are going good, we decline in our prayer life? I think we should just be upping our prayer life each and every day during the good, the bad, and the ugly. And just stay close to God because that's the key to resting in God is by being in His Word and having prayer time with Him, communing with the Lord, and studying His Word. Because when I'm in the Word... It gives me more faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when you find yourself not resting in God, when you find yourself freaking out over the challenges in life, you need to get on your knees, have a conversation with the Lord, and get in the word so you'll be strengthened and you'll start trusting and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last time we talked about how the children of Israel did not go into the promised land. Because of unbelief. God had done all these miracles for them. Got them to Kadesh Barnea. They're ready to enter in the promised land. He sent 12 spies in to spy out the land of milk and honey. They came back. They said it's everything that God said it was. But 10 of them said there was giants in the land. And we're mere grasshoppers. We can't take the land. The Anakim were in the land. The Anakim were 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 feet tall. And they scared the people. And those ten spies worked the whole crowd and some three million people fell into uh, the, the unbelief that God could handle the situation of the giants. Only Joshua and Caleb said, listen, those guys, they're nothing. We'll smoke them. If God's for us, who could be against us? But because they listened to the ten... And they said, you know, all our children are going to be killed by these giants. God said, because of your unbelief, you will die here in the wilderness. But the children that you thought would die in the promised land, they're going to go through and enjoy my promises. And so it tells us in verse 19 of chapter 3, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting because... I would think they wouldn't enter in because they screwed up all the time. I would think they wouldn't enter in because they made a lot of mistakes. I would think they wouldn't enter in as a lack of service to God, a lack of giving to God, a failure to keep his commandments, or because of immorality that they've fallen into. But that wasn't the case. It was only their unbelief that kept them out. That's that's the grace and mercy of God that the ones that did go through, even though they could have had all this stuff in their life that was wrong, they went through because they had faith. I think sometimes in our lives, you know, what God has brought us out of. Think about that. I mean, before I knew Jesus, I was living in immorality. I was, I was caught up in drug addictions and drugs, selling drugs, and selling it all through high school, came from a broken home. Took care of myself through high school and started dealing drugs. And then when I got out of high school, I started going big time. And, and, and I got addicted to cocaine and I was selling everything. And, and I tell you what, here's a funny thing. I knew God the whole time. I got raised in a Catholic church and I knew there was only one God, Jesus Christ, and he was the creator. I didn't know what it meant to be born again because they never told us that. And when I was dealing drugs, I thought to myself, hey, you know what, I'm just helping my friends get the things they want to make them feel good. Who am I harming? And as you go up the ladder, you start realizing the corruption that's involved with it all and how dangerous it all and this whole idea in my head was I'm just helping my friends. I was being stupid because I was on drugs. Keynote: don't do drugs. Just say no. And I remember once crying out to God. Strung out on coke. And I said, Lord, take this away from me. I knew he was God. And I said, Lord, take it away. I want to quit because I did it for you, not because I got arrested or thrown in prison or the doctor said I was going to die or I'm overdosed in the emergency. I wanted to do it for you. And he met me right where I was at. He had plans for me. He had a promised land that he wanted to bring me to. And even in the midst of all my folly, He kept an eye on me. I can look back now and see how I escaped death, how I escaped prison, how I escaped all kinds of craziness, because He had a plan. And I always thought there was just one God, and I knew that, and He honored that. And even though I was stupid in the things that I was doing, and I didn't understand, He made sure I did understand eventually, and helped me to give me strength to get it right. And I thank the Lord for that because a number of you have had that same testimony. God is so good. And so now that he's changed our lives, he's, you know, we live in a really crazy world right now. Um, it's unstable as can be. And, and I just thank God for his Ability to allow us to rest in him. Because I'm serious. I don't know how unbelievers can even handle life right now. It is so nutty. If you can't put your trust in Jesus in the midst of chaos, I don't know what you put your trust in. And so he's encouraging the believers here to rest. And I'm encouraging you today because I'll tell you what, a lot of times, even... We can wake up in the morning thinking everything's great and by the end of the day it's chaos and we're not resting in God. And I just want to be able to do my best and let God do the rest and just trust that he's got it handled, okay? That he knows what he's doing. And so in verse 1 of chapter 4 he says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. You don't want to come short of the rest of God. I encourage you more than ever right now to trust God, to rest in Him, and do what He's telling you to do. (coughs) It's funny that he says, let us therefore fear, because you're like, I thought we weren't supposed to fear. I thought Timothy said, God didn't give us the gift of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, that's true. But there is a healthy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. There's a healthy fear if I go down to the beach and I'm going to surf and I see five fins going back and forth. Something's telling me don't go out there. That's a healthy fear. But there's an unhealthy fear is when we let the problems in life, the storms in life, the trials, the giants in our life destroy our life. Instead of letting God have his way. Israel was facing giants. And you might be here today facing giants. But God says, I've got your giants. Trust me. Rest in me. I'm here for you. He says in verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. The gospel was preached to them. The gospel means good news. We've been given the good news and we got saved because of the good news. They were given good news, but they didn't listen. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Have you ever heard the word of God and not mixed it with faith? And then it does you no good. God was giving them promises, but because of a lack of faith, they wouldn't enter in. Because of unbelief. We need to be trusting In the promises of God. God tells us in His Word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? That He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. God is always there for you. You're a child of God, you're His. He loves you. And He tells us that He will always be with us. He also says in His Word, My desires for you are good. He says, If we believe on Him, we shall be saved. He tells us that I go to prepare a place for you. What does that mean? That means he's been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. How much better is that place than what he did for six days? And thank God he's a carpenter. I know he's going to do a good job. And he tells us that he's coming for us. Man, I think he's coming soon. You know, the Bible tells us, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Ask, seek, knock. If you take the first letter of each one of those words, it says ask. Ask, seek, and knock. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Matter of fact, in Romans, it says anything anything that we do that is not in faith is sin. Are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight today? It's really easy to start walking by sight. In 2 Chronicles, I think it's 20, King Jehoshaphat was faced with three nations coming up against him, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Mount Seir. Three nations coming against Israel, kind of sounds like today. And the word got to him, and King Jehoshaphat was just like blown away because they were outnumbered, they were outpowered, there was no hope. And Judah all had gathered and they were all there at the temple and they were praying to God and Jehoshaphat puts out this prayer to God and he's like saying all these things and reminding to God of who he is. (coughs) And then he says, listen, Lord, they're trying to take away the land you promised to us. And when we came into this land, you told us not to attack them, to let them go free. And this is how they repay us. We're outnumbered. We're outpowered. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You feel like that today? And you know what? God spoke. And he said, oh, uh, you know what? Don't worry, I got this. Stand back. And see the salvation of the Lord. Um, you guys aren't going to have to fight this fight. You're going to watch me do it. So stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord. And you know what Jehoshaphat did? He, the next day, they got all the troops ready. And they were so confident in what God said, that it was going to be God's fight and not theirs, that they put the worship team up in the front row, marching into battle. Austin would be stoked, wouldn't he? And they got there, and you know when they got there? God had wiped out all the enemy, all three nations. And for some reason, God had put it on the heart of the enemy to bring all their jewelry with them, their gold, their silver, and precious stones. And they died on the battlefield with their God. And it took, I think it was at least two or three days, it took the children of Israel to collect all the booty, all the gold and silver and gems. But they had to walk by faith and not by sight. They had to trust. They were resting in the Lord. And that's the good news. In verse 3, he says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The idea, it says here, if they shall enter into my rest, implies they hadn't entered into his rest And here he's discussing a salvation rest. A rest that's trusting in Christ Jesus. The Hebrews had faith in Jesus, but were now going back to works. And they weren't just trusting in salvation by faith. They were not resting in Jesus as salvation by faith. And God is saying that this salvation, this rest, this salvation by faith, was settled before the foundation of the world. That your salvation was settled before the foundations of the world. God knew what you would choose. God knew that you would take advantage of what he was providing. And what he's saying here, he's trying to bring to these Hebrew Christians the idea that, listen guys, you are only saved by what Christ did and not by what you do. And going back to the law is futile. Because it's a slap in the face to Jesus that he, didn't, he wasn't able to finish it, that he wasn't good enough. He was good enough. He did finish it. And it's always been faith. It's never been works. <coughs> and you'll say to yourself, well, what about the, the commandments and what about all the things they had to do for sacrifices and what about with the feast and all that stuff? They did all that stuff in faith. They, all, all the feast, everything, the Sabbath, uh, the, the rituals, they were all pointed to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, He finished it. He was the final sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. He fulfilled the law. We are no longer under the law. He, we are dead to the law because He was the only one that could fulfill it. And because He's done that, now we just call upon His name. And we're born again. And we don't offer sacrifices anymore because everything that in the Old Testament that was pointed to Jesus has been fulfilled in Him and what He did at the cross. And that's the good news. It's always been faith. You know, it's funny, when you talk to a Jew, they always like to bring up Abraham, Father Abraham. You know, we're of the seed of Abraham. You know, and oh, that's great. So am I. No, you're not. Yes, I'm grafted in. A circumcision of faith. But even with Abraham, this is what you tell your Jewish friends. You say, listen, guys, um, I don't know if you know this, but Abraham wasn't a Jew. And a lot of them don't know that. He was actually a pagan Gentile. And not only that, but he made little action figures, idols, and sold them. Most Jews don't know that. Not to mention it says that it was his faith that was imputed to him for righteousness. It was faith that saved him in the Lord before the Ten Commandments had even come on the scene. Before circumcision had even come on. It's always been faith. And what the Jews did in the Old Testament with sacrifices and the keeping of the feast was all in faith. Their works didn't save them. They brought a sacrifice for their sins because that was what God called them to do, waiting for that final sacrifice, Jesus Christ, once and for all on the cross. And it's finished. It's an amazing thing. Verse 4 says, For He spake in a certain place of a seventh day on the wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all of His works. And in this place, again... If they shall enter into my rest. And the idea is they didn't, but they should have. The Jews would say, We have a Sabbath. The problem is that the writer of Hebrews is not talking about a day, he's speaking of an eternity. Are you resting in Jesus? It's good for us all to take a day off, it's healthy but he's not talking about a day here if you look at genesis carefully genesis 1 six days of creation at the end of each day it says in the morning the, e- the evening in the morning was the first day the evening and the morning was the second day the evening and the morning was the third day and so on but when you get to the seventh day chapter 2 that day starts but it never finishes you, you won't find anywhere where he says it's evening and a morning. You won't find anywhere where it says it's finished. Why is that? Because it's a continual rest. It's not like, you know, you hear, you know, God worked six days, a seventh day rest. Whoo, man, he must have been burned out. Man, I was working, you know, 24-7. Boy, I just want to sit in the Lazy Boy and pop a cold one. It wasn't like that. He wasn't tired. He rested from his creative works. He created everything, and it was a time to sit and to enjoy. And He tells you and me the same thing, and that is to rest in Him. To enjoy Him. And that's a lifelong experience. It's not a day. Seventh-day rest begins, but it never ends. It's a rest in God. Now, the Jews take that Saturday off, and they are hung up on a Saturday for worship, but then some Christians are hung up on that too. You may know some of your Seventh-day Adventist friends, but God's not speaking of a day. He's speaking of a position, a relationship with Him. When I run into some of my Seventh-day Adventist friends, they say, do you believe in the Sabbath? I know exactly where they're going. Do you keep the Sabbath? I say, yes, I do. They say, really? I didn't know that. So you keep Saturday. Go, no, I teach on Sunday, so my Sabbath is Monday. That's my day of rest. You know, the the priests never rested on Saturday. They worked, right? So my day of rest is on Monday. But I'll say to him, listen, you know, Monday's a great day for a Sabbath, but so is Tuesday. And Wednesday's pretty good, too. And Thursday and Friday, Sunday, I mean... Because why? Because you and I resting in the Sabbath is because we're resting in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are keeping the Sabbath. The problem with those who will try to say to you that in order to be saved, you've got to trust in Jesus and keep the Sabbath because Some of the Seventh-day Adventists will say to you, if you worship on Sunday, you're you're worshiping the sun god, a pagan god. And I'm like, well, if we're going to talk about that whole realm, the pagan gods for each day, well, then we've got to acknowledge Saturday is the worship of, of Saturn, and you're just as messed up then. See, it doesn't make any sense. And the other thing I'll say to them is, listen, if you're saying you're saved by faith and keeping the Sabbath, now you're going back under the law. And the problem with that is that we can't keep the law. (coughs) And if you can keep the Sabbath, but you don't keep the other nine commandments, you're guilty of breaking the whole law and you fall short. See, you can get into heaven by keeping the law. The problem is you can't. Only Jesus could. Aren't you glad that He offered salvation as a free gift? Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't let anybody put you under works. I want to read you something from Colossians chapter 2. It might help you with this. Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you "...through philosophy or vain deceit, after traditions of men, not the things of God, after the rudiments of the world, not the things of Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Praise the Lord. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in food or drink or respect of holy days or of new moons, speaking of feast or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things that come, but the body is of Christ. Can't argue with that. That wasn't my opinion. That was the word of God. In verse 6, he says, "...seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. And again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long of time, and it is said today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he have not afterwards have spoken of another day. There's some good stuff right there. He's quoting King David from Psalm 95. The idea here is that Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, out of the world in a sense. But he couldn't bring them into the rest of God. Joshua brought them into the promised land, but he couldn't bring them into the rest of God. And King David, some 400 years later, is speaking of another rest. What is he talking about? He's talking about the resting in Jesus Christ. He's not speaking of a one day, a week rest, but an eternal rest, as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. So today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. How many times is Jesus talking to us and we ignore him? How many times is he telling you what you need to do and you don't want to do it because you want to have your way? Today is the day. Hear His voice. Harden not your hearts. In verse 6, He says, Therefore remaineth. What remaineth? What's remaining? What's remaining is the opportunity for every believer to have the rest of Jesus Christ in their life. And some of you are saved and you have peace with God, but you don't have rest in God. You're not trusting. You're, You're letting all... Your emotions get in the way. You're letting all your storms and your giants take over your life and rule in your life. And God says, stop that. Let me rule. Let me handle those giants. Let me handle those storms. I will take your hand and I will never leave you. Let Jesus Christ have his way. Verse 9, he says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his... You see that? That is a beautiful verse. At the end of six days, God rested from His creative works. And because of it, it gives us the opportunity to rest in Him. So what He's done for us, just like verse um, 10 says, you and I, giving our lives to Jesus Christ, have now ceased from trying to earn salvation. Because you can't earn it. Everything outside of Christianity is working to obtain some salvation or to please some false god or to obtain some level of whatever. And they all live in fear because none of them know if they've ever done enough. Thank God Christianity isn't like that. Thank God I don't have to live in fear, but I trust that He did it all, and all I got to do is put my faith in Him. That's a beautiful thing. Then it says in verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That sounds kind of funny. Let us labor to rest. Some of you got to work at it to slow down. Some of you really have to work to just sit down and smell the roses, right? Some of you, it is so hard for you to rest. You just got to go, and you got to go, and you got to go. And so sometimes we really have to make an effort, and I'll tell you what, sometimes in our Christian walk we need to make an effort to just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I tap out. You win. You handle it. We need to rest in that fact. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even and dividing asunder soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. What a verse. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. King James, the word of God is quick. It's called living. It's powerful. It means to energizes you. It is a living word. Jesus Christ is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was Holy Spirit breathed by Jesus Christ into the hands of men who wrote it down. The word is powerful. It's alive. It's living. It energizes us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That means it cuts. That means it does surgery in our hearts. Have you felt the Lord doing surgery in you this week? I have. And here's the thing when I get out here, you know, up here on Sundays, is that, you know, the Word of God's going out. It's like a sword, and it's just like, it's cutting, and it's cutting, and it's doing surgery, and it's, it's a great surgery, and it's working in your hearts, but every time it goes like this, and then it comes back, who's getting cut now? Me. As the word of God goes out and it does surgery in your hearts, it comes right back and does surgery in my hearts and I'm convinced that sometimes I'm just doing messages just for me. (laughs) And how many times I've looked up and said, how did this become all about me? And God so gently in his love says, Steve, I need you to change. I need you to go this direction. I need you to have an ear to hear me. I need you to trust in me and not this crazy world. In verse 13, he tells us that, well, actually in verse 12, he tells us that what the Word of God does is it it divides soul and spirit. And it deals with the intents of our heart, which means this, that the, the Word of God, Christ dwelling in you, can reveal to you your motivation for what you do for Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we do great things for God, but our motivation isn't really pure. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what the Word of God does. It kind of like reveals, hey, that was pretty cool. That was godly, and a lot of people got blessed, but I know why you did that. You wanted to be seen. Does that make any sense? You ever done something for God with kind of just, you, you kind of wanted to be seen? Like I'm leading somebody to the Christ. Oh, look, everybody's around. I'm going to put some money in the offering bags. Oh, I dropped $300. Let me me get that. It's that subtle. You're doing good stuff. You're doing godly stuff. But the Holy Spirit is able to discern the motives of my heart. And I'm going to get to heaven, but God's going to try my motives to see if I did it for Him, if I did it for me. Did I serve in the church for him? Did I serve in the church for me? Did I give to the church for him? Did I give to the church for me? That's how powerful the word of God is. And then verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Wow, what does that mean? That means God sees everything you do. Everything. That's a little scary. Are you kidding me? Listen, if you want to know about somebody, talk to their children. Don't fall into, you know, because a lot of times I do I do counseling for, for couples and, you know, I'll hear one say, you know, gosh, you know, I just wish he was just like so-and-so's husband. They they're just so godly. I wish they were just like so-and-so's wife. She's just such a a fresh breath of fresh air and it's like all you're seeing is sunday you're seeing the sunday person we're all on our best behavior right now right they got problems too there is no perfect marriage except us to jesus but if you want to find out more about somebody talk to his kids and and if you want to find out more than the kids know talk to his spouse or, or you know his wife or his her husband But I'll tell you something, there are things that their kids know that you don't know, and there's things that their spouse knows that the kids don't know and you don't know, but there's things that God knows that not even our spouses know. Why? Because we got all this crazy junk going through our head. And it's a battle. That's why God says, take your thoughts captive. Lay it all at my feet. Increase in me purify your hearts for i am pure be holy for i am holy and the only way i'm going to overcome those things is being in the word of god and on my knees in verse 14 he says seeing then that we have a great high priest praise the lord that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession or our confession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, as but with, without sin. And here he's, he's talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ to the high priest of that day. And even to take it all the way back, that Jesus Christ was superior to Aaron, the high priest. That you and I have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast that profession. And we have a God that understands us because He was tempted on all points, just like you and me. <coughs> Why was Jesus Christ better than the high priest? At this time, this letter was written. See, He's trying to pull He's trying to reach these Folks that have gone back to works, gone back to circumcision, gone back to the Sabbath, gone back to sacrificing. He's trying to reach them saying, Jesus is way better than any high priest. Better than Aaron and all that followed Him. Why? Because Aaron and all the high priests that followed after Aaron were sinful. And Jesus was without sin. They were all just men. And here it tells us Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Aaron could only approach God once a year on the Day of Atonement and you and I have access every moment of our life. That's good enough for me. And he's pleading with them. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest interceding for us every day, praying for us every day. He's going to get us to the finish line. That's good. And here's the better news. He understands you. Your wife may not understand you. Your husband may not understand you. Your kids may not understand you. Your boss may not understand you. But He does. And He sees right through to your heart. And He loves you. And the reason he understands is because he was tempted on all points. You say all points? You think you think he was tempted with sex? Well, it says all points. I mean, I'm sure there was a couple of hotties that were running after him, trying to get him to do something, and he was like, not gonna happen. Because why? He was without sin. But he got tempted on all points along with us so he would understand what we're up against. You can't go to God and say, you don't understand what I'm, ha- what I'm dealing with. He does. <coughs> he does completely. He understands everything. He's a wonderful God. And the last verse for the day is my favorite. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Can you say amen? You know, the, the word right there where it says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, that's not like we might. That word in the Greek, may, speaks of to receive what is offered. So let's read that again. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive what is offered and find grace to help in the time of need. I don't know about you, but do you need a little mercy and grace right now? I do. And we have access because the veil's been torn. And we don't have to go to a human high priest to represent us to God. We can go straight to Jesus Christ, and that's an amazing thing. Are you resting in Jesus today? If you're not resting, maybe you need to come boldly before the throne of grace that you would obtain his mercy and his grace for such a time as this and in, in a time of need.